Many of you have heard me say, and I'll always keep saying it, that the greatest inheritance that you can leave to your children or your grandchildren is not a trust fund, it is not cash, not stocks and bonds, not real estate. The greatest inheritance that you can leave your children and grandchildren is modeling to them godliness. I'm going to explain what I mean by this. I consider myself to be among the most blessed in that regard. Leaving my home country at a very early age, it is by my own voluntary volition, my own action, I forfeited any right for any material inheritance. But I have inherited something far greater than all the money in the world can afford. I inherited my mother's role modeling of intercession and persistence in prayer. It was not unusual for her on a daily basis to spend an hour or two in prayer. She was modeling her father and his life of prayer and praise, his godliness. My grandfather was a building contractor by trade, and he was an elder and a leader in his own church, was truly a man of prayer and praise. As a youngster, whenever I would go and spend the night with my cousins, where my grandfather's apartment was adjacent to their house, I would wake up two or three times during the night hearing him audibly speaking praises to the Lord and singing praises to the Lord and prayer to the Lord. I um, remember very distinctly the time when my aunt told me that there was a cold winter, a particularly severe cold winter, and she offered to him extra blanket or two. She said, this is going to be a cold winter this season. You need some extra blankets. He said, absolutely not. It will make me warm, and I won't wake up in the middle of the night to praise the Lord. It was interesting that my cousins got used to it, and they slept through the night. <laughs> but I've always been a light sleeper, even as a teenager, believe it or not. And I could not help but think at the age of 8, 9, and 10, and 11... Whenever I have the chance to be there and hearing this man waking up three, four, five times during the night, literally praising the Lord and blessing the name of the Lord and thanking the Lord. Well, you may say, well, wait a minute. He may be just a spiritually disciplined man. Or he may be just a man who really had a great deal to bless God for. Well, let me tell you a couple of things. (laughs) He lost two of his sons when they were in their 30s. His partner stole him blind. His wife died when he was relatively young. And then when he was in his 80s, he lost his eldest daughter, my mother, in her 50s. And yet, until the day he died, at the age of 92, he got up, never ceased, getting up two, three, four, five times in the middle of the night to bless the Lord for salvation. Now, I want to tell you something, and I hope you'll never forget this. Somebody told me years ago, the way you perceive God has a direct impact on your attitude toward your circumstances. I have never forgotten that. How you see God will directly affect 
whether you are a praising person or a complaining person. If you see God as the all-powerful, the all-sovereign who loves you dearly, then nothing is going to get you down. If you view God as being in total control of all circumstances for those who love Him, then nothing is going to hassle you in this life. If you view God as the one who has a perfect plan for your life, then nothing will intimidate you. No one will frighten you. If you see God as the one who cares for the minutest details of every area of your life, then nothing and no one is able to rob you of that joy. If you see God as the one who saved you and called you and he knew you by name before the foundation of the earth, that in order that you may live with him forever in heaven and that nobody can take that away from you, you will be an overcomer. It all depends on how you view God. But you see, if you view God as a benevolent dictator that you go to when you want something really big, then the slightest change in your circumstances are going to discourage you and going to disappoint you and is going to intimidate you. If you view God as a big Santa in the sky who is ready to give you presents if you've been good, then I'm going to tell you right now, The slightest change in your circumstances is going to rob you of your joy. It all depends on how you view God. How do you perceive God? Now, Paul and Silas, their perception of God caused them to rejoice. Not on the Mediterranean sipping iced tea, but with their bodies bleeding. Paul and Silas' perception of God caused them to sing praises in the middle of the night, not in a luxury suite, but in the solitary confinement. Paul and Silas' perception of God caused them to sing praises to the Lord even when their bodies were raked with pain. Paul and Silas' perception of God caused them to behave like they owned the world, even though they were in chain in a dungeon. Paul and Silas were singing praises to the Lord, even though they were falsely accused and maliciously treated. Paul and Silas were singing praises, even though they were in the midst of the darkness of injustice and unfairness. Well, look at verse 25 of Acts 16. If you haven't turned to Acts 16 already, turn to it. Look at verse 25. Dr. Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, tells us that about midnight they were praising God. About midnight. He said, well, what's so special about midnight? Why did the Holy Spirit and Luke see it important to record that it was about midnight that they began to praise God. Now remember, people went to bed right after sundown, and then they got up at sunrise. Didn't have light. Just remember that. Keep that in mind. But you see, the reason midnight is mentioned here, because at midnight, everything is accentuated. At midnight is when loneliness is accentuated. 
At midnight is when weariness is accentuated. At midnight is when fear is accentuated. At midnight is when your imagination runs wild. At midnight is when the smallest problem becomes a giant problem. At midnight is when your feeling sorry for yourself is multiplied a hundred times. But Paul and Silas, instead of throwing a pity party, they threw a party to Jesus. Instead of feeling sorry for themselves, they began to be filled with thanksgiving. Instead of griping about their lot in life, they were glorifying the greatness and the glories of God. Instead of constantly protesting the blatant injustice, and make no mistake about it, there was a blatant injustice, they praised God for their salvation. Instead of licking their wounds and saying, oh, poor me, they were blessing God for giving them the privilege of suffering for the name of Jesus. Most of us Christians, when we face adversity, we get ourselves in such a muddle that we don't know how to get out of it. It's like getting on a treadmill, and we stay on, don't know how to get out of it. I'll never forget, back in 1982, a dear friend of mine in Texas sent me a treadmill as a gift. It was great the first day. <laughs> <laughs> but being a non-mechanical that I am, I stood in this thing, and I saw it says on, so I turned the on button, and I kind of started walking. I thought, oh, this is great, and it kept on speeding, Kept on speeding, kept on speeding, and I kept speeding, and finally I kept looking for the off button. I couldn't find the off button. And you talk about nightmare. I mean, finally I had to jump out of the thing, and I just let it run until I found the off button. <laughs> I've never used anything after that without checking where the off button is. <laughs> but I have seen it literally in the lives of so many believers I'm not talking about people who don't know God and only become religious when they want something from God. No, no, no. I'm talking about people who love God. I'm talking about people who trust in the Lord's plan for their life. I'm talking about people who know both intellectually and in their heart that God works all things together for their good, for those who love God. And they know that. I'm talking about those people. But when they face difficult circumstances, they don't know where the off button is. Listen to me very carefully, please. Because as I learned the hard way where the off button is, I want to share it with you. The off button is in praising the name of the Lord. In the middle of your pain, not afterward. The off button is lifting up the name of Jesus in the middle of your trouble. The off button is in thanksgiving and gratitude to the Lord in the middle of your dilemma. The off button is in exalting the name of the Lord Jesus in the middle of your frustration and in the middle of your difficulty. The off button is taking your eyes off the problem, but the only way you can take your eyes off the problem is when you begin to focus it on Jesus and the praise of the name of Jesus. I love it when people say, well, just take your eyes off the problem. They never told me how. How can I take my eyes off the problem when I am knee-deep in it? And the Lord taught me several years ago, the only way to take your eyes off the problem and problem people is by focusing on blessing His name and glory in His name and magnifying His name. And I believe Paul and Silas 
would have spent their time commiserating with each other had they not understood this all-important lesson. And who would blame them? I wouldn't blame them. Would you? You wouldn't blame them. Paul and Silas would have spent their time patting each other on the back. Paul and Silas could have spent their time going over what they could have done differently in order to avoid being in prison. I think Paul and Silas could have spent their time wondering if they really are in the will of God by coming to Philippi. You know people like that? You know, sanctimonious Christians drive me nuts. They really do. I love hardy Christians. I don't like sanctimonious Christians. You know, the the moment you start doing something and and you face a problem, they say, oh, Brother Yusuf, it may be out of the will of God. Do you think God is in this? I don't know where this crazy idea comes from. That the moment you face a problem, you're out of the will of God. Who said so? If this is the case, Paul would never have preached the gospel anywhere. Why? Because everywhere he went, he faced problems, he faced difficulties, he faced persecution, and he faced threat to his life. Everywhere he ministered. Please hear me right on this one. Paul and Silas knew that the secret of victory is not going around the problem. Paul and Silas knew that the secret of victory is not the quick fix. Paul and Silas knew that the secret of victory is not pretending that there is no problem. Paul and Silas knew that the secret of victory was to look at the devil in the eye and spit praises to the Lord. (laughs) They knew that the secret of victory was to appropriate the power that God has for them in praising Him in the middle of trouble. They knew that the secret of victory is to brag on Jesus. They knew that the secret of victory is to rejoice and again I say rejoice. You know, the Apostle Paul knew that affliction works what? Patience. And therefore he said, I rejoice in afflictions. Paul knew that afflictions produces far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. Therefore he said, I will rejoice in affliction. You see, there's not anywhere documented here that ever Paul and Silas prayed to be released. They may have, but it wasn't recorded here. They didn't ask that they be taken care of. They, they didn't. The only reason at the end when they tried to get them out, do you know why Paul would not go out without a, a public apology? Because he was concerned for the welfare of the little church in Philippi, not for himself. And he wanted to make sure that there'd be no, they had set a precedence for injustice, and at least he suffered. He did not want them to suffer. But he never asked for anything. He never even asked for an earthquake. You know, sometimes when I think things happen, you know, I say, God, send an earthquake. Just shake the place up. <laughs> he doesn't listen to me. <laughs> but the earthquake came as they began to praise God at midnight. Do you know really what causes the devil either joy unspeakable or pain unbelievable? Do you want to know? Look, let me level with you. You and the devil cannot be both happy. If you are happy, the devil is miserable. If you are miserable, the devil is happy. Write it down. Don't ever forget it. It works like a charm. It really does. I know from my own life, from my own experience, it works. It really does. How do you make the devil miserable? Do you want to know how to make the devil miserable? Here's how you make the devil miserable. 
is the way you handle your circumstances. If you go around and says, oh, poor me. <laughs> Why did God do this? Why am I suffering so? Oh, please, everybody, feel sorry for me. Why is this happening? Satan and all the demons having a party. They really are. I mean, they are absolutely having a ball. I mean, they're going around in the pit, high-fiving each other. and said, hey, we got him. We got him. But if you say, this is puzzling. This is confusing. This is painful. This does not make any sense from my point of view. Oh, but I know that he promised that he could incorporate all things to work together for my good because I love him. And then you begin to bless the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. He's my rock. He's my deliverer. He is my fortress. He is everything to me, and I will trust him. I'm going to tell you, I guarantee you, the devil is miserable. You've made him miserable. Demons are squirming, and they're running around in confusion. And very unhappy. Why? Because the devil knows. Listen to me, please. The devil knows that there is power that you can only experience when you are able to bless the name of God and praise the name of God in the midst of the storms of life. But here's the problem. Most Christians are brainwashed with television. They are brainwashed with pop psychology. They are brainwashed with the world system. They are brainwashed with the circumstances. They are brainwashed with all the principles that come from godless people. Please listen carefully. There is power in praising the name of the Lord. If you agree, say amen. amen. But that's not all. That's only half the story. Because I believe in the Scripture teaches there is even greater power in being able to praise the name of Jesus in the midst of your pain. Far greater power than you thought possible. There is far greater power available to you and available to me when we are able to bless the name of the Lord in the midst of confusing circumstances. There is far greater power that is ready for you to appropriate when you glory in the Lord, when everything is blowing up in your face. There is special power that God promised. Listen, I want you to look at verse 26, 1626 of the book of Acts. As Paul and Silas praise God, an earthquake hits the town of Philippi. Now, I don't know whether that's a part of the world that is prone to earthquakes. I'm going to tell you basically a Yusuf understanding of this. They probably never had an earthquake until this day. You know back then prisons were built mostly, and I don't know whether this is the case in Philippi or not, but normally the Romans built prisons in mountains and on rocks in caves because it's natural fortification for prisoners not be able to escape. 
And if this is the same case here, the Bible said that it shook the foundation of the prison. <laughs> if it was built on a, on a rock in the mountain, it's built in rocks, and it's built in caves, I want to tell you the whole place was shaking up so much so that the prison warden who lived obviously on the compound as they normally did was ready to kill himself. Why? <laughs> the Roman law was very stringent. And it says that any soldier who allows prisoners to escape, no matter what the cause may be, no matter what the cause may be, they have nothing to do with it, they will pay with their life. And the prison warden in Philippi probably said to himself, there's no way that any of the prisoners are still around, and the doors are open, and, and the earth is shook, and, and the mountain was shaking, and, and he preferred to put the sword to his heart than to let the Romans do it for him. But the apostle Paul cried out to him, don't hurt yourself, for we're all here. I don't want you to miss this one. Please don't miss this one. <laughs> Here's the table turned. See the, how the table turned? The jailer falls on his knees before the prisoners. Look, the table turned. <laughs> For that's the power of praising the Lord in the midst of difficult circumstances. This is the power of God working. It turns the world upside down. It turns the table around. The prison warden said, what can I do to be saved? How do you think he knew about salvation? How did he know about salvation? What does he know about salvation? Earlier in Acts chapter 16, there was a demon-possessed woman who was running around. Listen, this is a small town. This is a tiny town. And the word gets spread very fast in small towns. Believe me. And here is this demon-possessed woman running around. What was her message? These men are messengers of the Most High God. They are here to bring you the message of salvation. And the Philippian jailer heard that a few days earlier. And the Holy Spirit was working in his life. Salvation. You know, I have guilt that all the gods of the Romans cannot erase. Salvation. I wake up in the morning, I look to the sky... And I wonder if there is a God. Is He pleased with me? All these things, the Holy Spirit was preparing him when he heard the message of salvation from this demon-possessed woman. Heart is being prepared. God is working in him. And so it took a crisis for him to say, what must I do to be saved? What happened? Paul said to him very simply, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why just that? Why just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because this man had nothing between him and salvation other than belief. Do you remember when Jesus looked at the rich young ruler and he said to him, go sell all that you have and then come and follow me? Paul didn't do that. You know why? Because he knew for this man there is nothing is in the way of the believing. 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, when Paul said believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean just believe that he existed or believe that he was a good man or believe. No, 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 no. The word means total surrender to him. That he become the Lord of your life. So, my beloved friends, I want to end where I began. If you want to have a legacy to the next generation, if you want to leave a legacy to your children, model to them the praise of God in tough times. If you want to leave something of value to your offspring, model to them how to appropriate the power of God in your life, the power that can only comes from learning to praise God in the midst of difficulties. If you want to make an impact on the next generation, then let them know what you know, that earthly power is fleeting, that worldly power is a mirage, that political power is temporary, that material power can take wings. But the power of praise is real. The power of praise is lasting. The power of praise is everlasting. When Madame Guillaume was imprisoned in the castle of Vincennes, she did not only sing, she wrote songs of praise to the Lord. When Catherine Evans, a Quaker, was imprisoned in the gloomy walls of Inquisition on the island of Malta, Friar Malachi said to her, and I quote, he said, unless you abandon your religion, you will never go out of the prison alive. She fervently said to him, the Lord is sufficient to deliver me, but whether he will or not, I will not forsake the living fountain and drink at the broken cistern. What is it that got you down? What is it that has robbed you of your joy? What is it that got you in its grasp? What is it that had put you on this treadmill and you don't know how to get off? Get off and begin regularly, systematically, unashamedly to praise the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.